Welcome to the South Edmonton Church of Christ Wednesday Bible Study. In this video, we're going to be taking a look at Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, just like I told you last week, we're going to be getting into greater detail about this rest that God promises for those who are faithful uh, to him and to his word. Uh, so let, let's dive in and before we get into chapter 4, let's actually do just a little bit of review the last few verses of chapter 3. So Hebrews chapter 3 verses 15 through 19. This just kind of refresh your memory as to what we uh, saw at the very end of the last chapter. The Hebrew writer says, As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if they, uh, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So this passage, it just kind of jumps right in and reminds us who we're looking at. We're looking at those people who they saw all the great miracles of God. They saw the deliverance uh, that God did at the hand of Moses, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. They, uh, they were also, you know, ones who uh, many of them heard, you know, th themselves and, and saw themselves, these different activities that God was doing. But yet they still had problems with disbelief. You know, miracles itself, I say this oftentimes, but it, I will probably continue to say it. Miracles themselves don't automatically produce faith. Faith is kind of something separate than the miracles. Now the miracles can help. It can give us some evidence that you know God is working and and that He's stronger than us. You know He's He's not just a a human being. No, He's God. He's different. But yet miracles don't force us to believe. It's still our option. And whenever we have that option to believe, that also gives us the option to not believe. And because of that unbelief. There are consequences. In fact, if you look at that generation uh, that Moses led out of Egypt, uh, that generation didn't believe. Well, because of that, they didn't get to enter into this rest. But now what the Hebrew writer is going to do, he's going to dive into greater detail about that rest. And this is something that we don't talk about as, as much, I guess, in our culture, because we're, we're such a, a culture that is always going from this thing to that thing and all. And in fact, some of you right now and in this time that we're supposed to be staying at home, this might be kind of driving some of you a little mad because you're so used to just driving forth and just continuously working at, at something all the time. And now we've kind of been more or less forced into a little bit of a rest time. Well, since we have this time of rest, what are we learning from it? What are we doing about it? I believe there's a lot in this chapter that will help us with the uh, current situation we find ourselves in. So let's dive into chapter four now. Hebrews chapter four, verses one through five. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in his words, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. 
And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. So here, what the Hebrew writer is talking about is, he mentions even from, very, uh, from the very first verse of this chapter, he mentions that this is a promise. Uh, what is this promise? Well, the promise was that they would be able to enter into the rest. However, some people fell short of that promise. They fell short of that promise because they failed to believe. Uh, in fact, the statement is said in verse two that this message, this good news, the gospel message itself, it became of no value to them. Now, I want you to just stop and, and let that sink in for a moment. I mean, have you ever considered that the gospel message sometimes is as if it's no value to people? Why is that? Well, look again at the text. Look at verse two. It's no value because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So sometimes the gospel message, if you fail to believe it, if you fail to act on it, it really isn't of any value to you. Um, you know, the, the knowledge itself of what God has done, the knowledge itself of what Jesus has done by giving his life in our place, by sacrificing himself so that we can have life. All of those things, all the good news that Jesus, you know, after he sacrificed his life, he rose up from the dead and he gives us hope of being able to raise up from the dead too. I mean, those are all wonderful things and that's all part of the gospel message. However, if we don't believe it and if we fail to act on it, then it is of no value to us. That's why in this passage here in Psalm 95 that continuously gets quoted, uh, you know, it might sound like I'm kind of a little bit of a broken record. Well, that, that's actually what this chapter is about. And, and the last chapter, it, it continues to quote Psalm 95. Um, and this Psalm, it reminds us that there is something about this rest. And God said to them that they're never going to enter into this rest because they just failed to believe. You think maybe it's important that we believe? I mean, think about it. Whenever we believe and when we follow God, we can enter into this rest. What is this type of rest that he's talking about? Well, in this chapter, you'll notice that he takes two different ideas. He takes this one idea that on the one hand, there's this rest that they were supposed to be able to rest in the, the promised land and that things were going to go well for them. I mean, that was a promise that God gave them. However, another rest that's brought up here in verse uh, four is on the seventh day of creation, God rested. And what the Hebrew writer does is he meshes these two together. And he says, this rest that they were promised and the rest that God himself um, went through on the, the seventh day of creation, he combines those two ideas and talks about rest for us today. See, it's not enough for us to just look at the rest they were supposed to have in entering the promised land. It's also not enough for us to look at the rest that uh, we might call even the Sabbath day rest, that, that God rested on the seventh day of, of creation. It's not enough for us to look at either one of those by themselves because the Hebrew writer combines them together and he says, there is this rest. However, another thing that the Hebrew writer does, and we're gonna keep looking at this, is there's even more rest than just these two times, just these two things combined together. Uh, so hopefully in all of this talk about rest, it allows us all to, to recognize kind of maybe some of the blessings that we can um, experience right now in this time of, of possible rest, or at least a time that it's easier for us to rest. Maybe we can learn things about what that means. Maybe we can even learn and get a little bit more insight into what it means that God rested on the seventh day. I'm not gonna get into that uh, really on this video, 
But I just want you to think about that. What does it truly mean that God rested from his work on the seventh day? I believe these things carry over into today as well and into this passage. Let's keep looking because maybe we'll get a little bit more insight along the way too. So Hebrews chapter four, now verses uh, six through 11. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter the rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later, he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God, God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So now in, in this passage, these next few verses, we see there is another idea of rest. In fact, now we see this meshing together of not only is it the, the day of rest that God took after creation, but then there's also a rest that they were promised of entering into the promised land. But now we see a third one coming in here and all of them combined need to be taken into consideration. This third one is the one that David talks about. He's talking about another rest. Verse eight says, well, it couldn't have been the rest during that time because Joshua, during his day, they didn't get that rest. Now, there were some benefits from Joshua. I mean, Joshua was the one that he allowed them to enter into the promised land during that time. So, yeah, there's, there's to some degree an element of rest. However, years later in David's time, then we see another degree of rest. Now, David himself, yes, he was a man that was oftentimes engaged in war. But if you kind of read closely to the, the text of, of David and see what happens during his time the Israelites experienced a great deal of rest. They also rested in the time of, of uh, Solomon, who you know followed David. So all of these things are combined together. God's rest on the seventh day. Then we also see the rest in the promised land, and even further, the rest in kind of David's day. All of these are taken together and meshed and talked about with this rest that God provides. So it wasn't completely fulfilled in the time of, it most certainly wasn't completely fulfilled whenever God himself rested. And this rest that God wants for us, it wasn't even fulfilled in the days of Joshua. And we also see it's really not even fulfilled in the days of David. Even though there is a, a degree of rest in all of those, we see there's more to that rest that we ourselves can experience now. And there is some part in it that verse, verses nine and 10 especially talk about that we can share in that Sabbath rest, that we can share in that rest that God has. Now, I know the Sabbath rest is a little um, unusual of a topic for us because it's kind of like, it's one of those 10 commandments that, you know, all the other 10 commandments are more or less restated in some way in the New Testament. However, this Sabbath rest, we oftentimes talk about it as if it's not really repeated and it's not commanded in the New Testament. However, I think we need to draw our attention to passages like this, and there can be some other ones that we need to, to talk about as well, but most certainly this passage here, because, you know, there is a way in which the Sabbath rest, one of those Ten Commandments, is still carried over into the New Testament. Now, it's different. I'll grant you that, and I think we need to recognize those differences, but we do see that it's not like 
that Ten Commandment is completely useless. No, see, the law itself, there's always something we can learn from it. That's what the whole Hebrew writer is kind of getting at, is all of these things, they were fulfilled in Jesus, and they still have meaning for us today. And there's still things that we can learn uh, from what has been written. Uh, that's why the next few verses really talk about the Word of God and what has been recorded for us, what has been written for us, and the things that we can learn from it and the usefulness of it today. Let's dive into those. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13 now. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This thought here, this passage, it so beautifully tells us about the word of God and how great this word of God is. And you know what? This, this word of God, it's not just talking about the New Testament. We're also talking about the Old Testament too. And we see that the Old Testament and the New Testament working together, the Old uh, and the New, all of this, the, the covenant relationship of God's people, it still uh, relates to us today. It still has to do with this Word of God. The Word of God, it is alive. It is active. And that's also another thing that maybe, you know, that's worth just kind of thinking about, you know, meditating upon. What does it mean that the Word of God is alive and active? You know, perhaps if we think of the Bible as being something that is alive and active, um, I don't know of, of any other book that, that even, you know, tries to claim that. Most certainly no other book is that, but I don't even know of another book that really claims it's alive and active. See, books we typically think of, oh, well, it's just something that we read and maybe, you know, we learn from it or maybe we uh, just kind of have a little bit of an escape of, of just kind of being able to enter into a world of fantasy or something like that. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is different. It's alive, it's active, and the sharpness of it and what it can do. It's described as a sword, and there's a lot about a sword that is important to understand. However, what we see here with the sharpness of the sword is what it can do. It can separate between soul and spirit. I mean, think about that. You know, most of us, we just kind of use the term soul or spirit sort of interchangeably, but yet the Word of God, it can tell the, the difference between those. It can tell the difference between joints and marrow. It can tell the difference between thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, you know, many times these words you might be thinking, okay, what's really the difference between soul and spirit? What's the difference between joints and marrow? What's the difference between thoughts and attitudes of the heart? What, what are those differences? Well, God's word is able to distinguish all of that. And God's word is so able to distinguish that, that God, within his sight, he can see everything. Now, that doesn't need to be something that, you know, we are, we are afraid of. No, what we need to realize is that's actually a great blessing to us because God is always able to see everything that we're going through. And he's able to help us in ways that we ourselves can't even do that. And we do have to give an account to God for what we do. However, that doesn't need to be a scary thought. It just needs to be one that we recognize it's a reality. And everything is going to be laid bare before God. In fact, everything already is laid bare before God. You can't hide your sin. You can't hide your good deeds even. Let's go that way too. You know, we oftentimes think about how God sees our, our sinning. God also sees our good deeds. There's no good deed. There's no bad deed that you can hide from God's sight. 
And whenever we read God's word, it's it's kind of like this two way street. We read God's word, but in a sense, God's word is also reading us. And there's to a degree a communication that happens. And that's one of the reasons why I like to recommend to people that if you're going to read God's word, that you also pray within it, because then it is even more like a conversation. Because as we read God's word, that's his communication to us. When we pray, that's our communication to God. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, that it doesn't have to look like the typical prayer, like what we think of that, oh, it has to begin some way of addressing God and has to end with, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not saying it has to even fit that category necessarily, but perhaps you can kind of leave it an open conversation with God, that you start off asking for, for guidance as you read God's word. But then instead of just saying, oh, well, in Jesus' name, amen, instead of just ending the prayer at, at the beginning of your study, perhaps just leave it open. And as you read things, continue to just, you know, pause every once in a while and talk to God. Maybe mention when things are confusing to you. Maybe mention whenever just great blessings from God come up. Share those things with God. This is, uh, you know, if nothing else, it's also beneficial uh, for you. You know, you know it's, it's wonderful for you to voice those things to God, but it's also beneficial uh, to you personally, and it can help you grow. And then when you ask God for help, um, don't be surprised if he actually helps you, you know. Uh, let, let's expect those things. Because God is alive, not just his word, but he is alive and he is active and he is willing to help us. So all of these things are wrapped up into this, this great blessing that we can have in this rest of God. The great blessing that we can have that, that God's word tells us about these wonderful things. But there's also a little bit more in this chapter. And the rest of this chapter, I will tell you, it kind of is, uh, is getting you a, a little bit of information on what's coming next in the next chapter. So let's read that next a little bit. It's on another topic, sort of. So let's look at those things. In Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through 16, now we're going to see how Jesus is our high priest. We're going to start this, but we're going to really get into it next week with uh, Hebrews chapter 5. But let's read these together. Verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So as we get to the end of this, this chapter and the end of this study uh, together, we see this wonderful promise, this wonderful blessing that we do have a high priest. We have a great high priest. We have a wonderful high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. He did things on our behalf for us that we ourselves could not do. He himself, as verse 15 says, he was tempted in every single way, yet he did not sin. And I think that is so important. And I will get into more detail even next week about this, but this is so important for us to recognize about Jesus Christ, that because he was God and also was man, or I guess you could also say that because he is God and he is man, he was able to be tempted in every way whenever he was here on earth, just like we are. He can relate to us, yet he himself didn't do what we do. You know, we give in to our sin. He himself did not give in to his sin. Because of that, he is our high priest. 
He is right there at God's throne. And we can enter into God's throne. You know, we can kind of enter into the, the presence of God himself because of what Jesus has done for us. These are wonderful blessings. This is part of the good news uh, of what it means to be a Christian. This is part of what we can share with other people, that they can have these blessings too whenever they become a, a follower of Christ and accept what he has done for, for them, then he is a, their high priest and he will intercede on their behalf. He already has, and he continues to do that. But there's more on that topic even next week. So for now, let's just kind of think about this and, and maybe maybe give some time to, uh, to study this out a little bit more between now and next week. But next week, we'll pick this up and we will look about how Jesus is our great high priest and all the different ways uh, that that relates to us and what it can truly mean for us. But I have one final thing I want to point out in this chapter. I didn't make specific mention of this, but, but several times throughout Hebrews, and especially even in this chapter, we see a phrase that keeps getting repeated. It is, let us do something or let us be something. Well, there's quite a few of those in this chapter. For example, in chapter one, we see the statement, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short. These are all, if, if you're looking for, well, what does this chapter mean for mean to me right here, right now? What does it mean this week? How can I start you know, applying these things and looking into these things? And, and what does it matter today? What does it matter tomorrow? Well, these let us statements are statements that are supposed to encourage us, that are supposed to draw us in and allow us as the family of God to recognize these things, learn from these things, pay attention to these things. So let us be careful that none of us be found to have fallen short of these great blessings that God has promised, because there's no reason for it. But let us do it. Let us be careful about it. Another one is found in verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Now, it's kind of related to the, the, the previous one, but all of this has to do with, you know, look, God has promised this. So let's make every effort to make sure that we fulfill it with him, that we have this belief and that we uh, become partakers of what God wants us to be. In verse 14, we see this statement. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. By the way, that's how we can kind of accomplish these other two that were already mentioned, how we can be careful so as to not fall short and how we can make every effort to enter that rest is when we hold firmly to this faith. That is how we do it. In verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I mean, this is a wonderful blessing. Let that statement sink in. Let you recognize how great it is to be able to approach God's throne. And we can do that with confidence. These are the blessings that Jesus Christ offers us. These are all available to us if we just take hold of them. If we just put forth an effort to be able to do these things, God has already promised he will help us. He's always going to be there and he will, he will help us along the way. And we have this great high priest. We have the ability to approach God. We have the ability to take part in this rest. We have the ability to hold firmly to this faith that we profess. Let us do those.